I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Patrick Davis and the Sports Complex. Weekday afternoons, only on The Horn. Welcome back to the Sports Complex on a Friday afternoon on the show today. We'll get into Texas taking on another ranked team on this stretch in the Big 12 gauntlet. Talk some Big 12 basketball and college basketball going into a weekend with a lot of separating games. NBA action as well. All three Texas teams have double headers coming up Friday and Saturday. We'll get into that. And the all NBA All-Star starters were announced show you some of the interesting trends from that and uh, who will be your NBA All-Star starters. Uh, also get into the big fat poll of the day. Some NFL talk. Big championship weekend happening and the NFL MVP and Offensive Players of the Year nominations are announced. We'll talk about those award nominations and of course get you ready for conference championship weekend. Uh, we'll go in also with the most important part of the show, your text messages, 512-447-3776, 512-447-3776 is the text line number. You guys drive the show. I just try to keep it on the rails, and what that means is whatever you guys want to talk about, we try to answer every single person's text on the show. We know we have some haters. I got to get a haters badge going on the text line so I know when I just have the haters that just want to hate, but everybody else, and we'll answer those too. We'll talk because we'll have a discussion about anything here on the show, so we'll keep talking about it. And I, you know, there's some things I can't say on the show. We know that, but uh, we'll try and have a discussion with whatever we want to talk about, uh, especially Texas football, Texas basketball, NBA, NFL, all the great stuff. I don't have a, a broad expertise on hockey. In fact, I haven't watched a hockey game in several years probably. Uh, so I, I can't really talk much about that, but uh, we can get into whatever else you want to talk about on the show. 512-447-3776. It is a Royal Rumble weekend. Uh, they, it's a Saturday now. I don't know when they started moving, and I don't pay enough attention. I used to love wrestling and watch it all the time, and then I've just got life gets busier, and then you know I now that you I'm covering sports more, and there was a period where I wasn't 
you know, I was watching NBA, but I wasn't necessarily covering every sport. So you'd have a little bit more time to watch wrestling and then that disappeared. So without the time and the huge time commitment of wrestling, I, I don't have it, but it is the Royal Rumble, which is the most fun event to watch every year. Now, every year I get older, there's less and less people I know in it. So you have to be like, who's this one? And I don't, and the music hits, and you don't have that, that endorphin rush of who it is, but when it does and it's, it's awesome. Uh, so we'll get it. But I, so I don't, I, we're not going to discuss wrestling. Uh, and I don't know enough about it too. You can check out my man, Stu Myrick and sports guys talking wrestling for all that stuff. It's, he knows what he's talking about. I don't, but I am excited for the Royal rumble on Saturday night. Since we don't have any, uh, the games are both the NFL games are on Sunday. Uh, give me something to do on a Saturday night. Enjoy, enjoy some Royal rumble action. If anybody of you on the text line, is a big Royal rumble fan. It's the best. It's the best pay-per-view of the year. We all know that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, let's get into some Texas basketball talk that we'll be doing during the day, watching college basketball all during the day. Uh, Texas takes on number 21 BYU on a stretch where they played uh, Baylor last weekend. Number nine Baylor, number 11 Oklahoma was on on Tuesday. Now on Saturday, they're going to take on BYU. They take on number four Houston or number five Houston. Four? Four, I think they're four right now. Number four Houston on Monday. So it is a big game for a couple reasons. One, this is a game where you're going into a BYU environment that you don't really know. You know, a lot of these Big 12 areas, you kind of know the fan bases and you know what you're going to expect. You know the buildings, you know the town, you know everything. So there's a little bit more familiarity with some of these other Big 12 venues that you've been to a lot before. This is a new place, and from all reports and what everybody says about BYU is that their building is going to be rocking uh, against this Texas team. They want to come out and make an impact. They've also lost their last two. They lost to Texas Tech. They lost to Houston. So they really want a big bounce-back win against Texas. So the fan base is going to be going nuts uh, against against Texas. And BYU is kind of a different beast than what the standard Big 12 model of team is. Uh, the standard Big 12 team is going to be a team that is much more based in defense. And you can score off of that, but the defense is where a lot of these teams are going to be based. Like Kansas is based in defense and then just so much talent on the offensive end that it's going to win over. But BYU, they play defense. They do. They definitely play some defense, uh, but they are built on offense. This is a team that wants to go out and score. BYU wants to score 80 a game. And that's part of the problem they've been having in the Big 12 so far this year is they weren't ready for the physicality of the Big 12. They weren't ready for the defense of the Big 12. And so non-conference, they looked amazing. They looked like world beaters because they were putting up 80 and 90 a night, and they were putting up big numbers playing against all these teams that could just go out and score. Uh, Once that defensive intensity picked up for BYU, it started to slow down. They have uh, four guys that are all averaging over 10 a game. Robinson, Nell, Johnson, and uh, Waterman are all averaging over 10 a game. They share the ball around. That's a sign of a really good offense is when you can have a lot of guys averaging around the same number of points and getting up to that 70, 80 mark every game is a really good offense because you're allowing your team the best opportunity to score. And in basketball, the more guys that you feel comfortable taking a shot when they're open, the better you're, the you're going to be. And that's kind of what BYU can do is BYU can find a bunch of different ways to score. So Texas, who in the past couple of weeks has been much more on a trend of trying to find a guy or two to kind of slow down and make them change up their defense and defensively put Tyrese Hunter as a stopper out there on the floor, put Dylan Mitchell out there to put a big body on somebody. Uh, you know, Dylan DeSue does well in the post. You can stop those. 
this is where you'll see a Max Acemas and IT Horton have to step up in this game defensively. Because if there are places where if they're the guys that are going to be getting attacked for, and Max Acemas, his his uh, intensity definitely stepped up the last couple of weeks defensively. For sure. And IT Horton, that's why he's on the court. It's his defense is stepping up. They're not great defensive players yet. They're not great with the footwork, but they are bringing the intensity, and that's what you're going to need against a BYU team that does. They want to go out and put up 80 on you. You're going to try and hold them into the 60s. And for Texas, you really need to hold them into the 60s because that's around where your watermark of winning is going to be usually. Texas is not a team that, even though they shoot a really high percentage, is not such a fast team that they're putting up 80 points a game. They're trying to put up 65 to 75 a game. So they're going to have to be able to handle those. And that's one of your big keys for the game for Texas in this uh, this matchup against BYU is going to be able to bring it to their pace, where they're not going to play at a snail's pace, but do not get into a running match with BYU and just try and run up and down the court. You can do it pretty well, and you can do some things well in that, but you're playing more into their hands. More possessions is better for BYU. Because they just want to go up and say, well, we're, we, if we're going to go shot percentage for shot percentage and field goal percentage against field goal percentage, we feel pretty good about what we can do. And both teams shoot really well. Texas is one of the higher field goal percentage teams in the country. But you still don't want to have to get into a running game, especially because Texas, too, has a shortened rotation. BYU rotates guys a lot more than Texas. Plays a deeper bench than Texas does. And so BYU will have guys out there rotate because they want to run. They want to stay fresh in that sense. And if your defense will start to slip in that end of game in the last eight minutes that have been a, a crucial part for Texas in their wins and their losses, that last eight minutes, if you can keep your legs and slow the game down enough on your pace, don't allow second-chance opportunities. Get up there and rebound, rebound. I know it's it's silly, but we say it every week and after, for every game. If you hit your threes and you rebound, Texas is going to be in every single game, if not winning them. So you have to be able to rebound. And this is going to be interesting to see how Rodney Terry uh, tries to defend against this BYU team where they are a, a team that likes to have Dylan DeSue, uh and Dylan Mitchell and possibly a guard crash the boards on the defensive boards. Uh, or on the offensive boards, they like to have those guys kind of still come in and try and make a play. We see Kendall Weaver do it a lot. Uh, but Kendall Weaver is going to be a big part of this. Now, if he's going up for all those offensive rebounds and guys are starting to leak out behind him, and BYU gets the rebound and they hit that outlet pass, it's going to be two, three points going the other way a lot. So you're going to have to be able to stop BYU from getting back and setting the defense the way they want it or just getting points off the fast break. Uh, either one of those things, it's going to be a little bit more of a challenge for Texas in rebounding offensively, getting second chance points, getting second opportunities, keeping the possession of the ball, slowing the game down uh, when you're going to have to send. And this is big for Dylan Mitchell. If he can get in there and get around guys, get up in the air like he does, use his legs to get up to get those rebounds. Don't let the ball hit the ground. Those types of plays will be big for Texas against BYU because those plays stop fast breaks. They stop the defense heading back down the court. You know, the difference between setting your defense and not is whether you hit the shot on the other end. Reality is, if you hit your shot, then they have to inbound it out of bounds. It becomes a little bit easier for you to get all your guys back and have somebody back there and you line up and, and match up in the, the matchups you want to have defensively. And if you're coming off a miss, everybody's running back and you got to take who you take. And if Dylan Mitchell gets switched off on a guard, 
then maybe they find it. And if they get over and they get Max Aismas on somebody, one of their guys who's six 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 seven, then that's going to be a hard one for him when they start to get in the post and start shooting over him. So you want to see Texas be able to handle their end on offensive rebounding without having to overcommit the players and personnel to try an offensive rebound. But getting those second chances or at least not allowing easy outlet passes, turning around when you're coming back down the court so you're not allowing the ball to be just thrown over the top of your head for an easy outlet pass because you're running with your head face downfield or down court. Sometimes you're going to have to keep communicating and have one guy with his head down off ball and someone between where the ball is and where the action is backpedaling. Just small things like that that Texas is going to have to do in this game to have a shot to slow this BYU team down because they're really going to want to go after you. And, you know, on the defense, the offensive end, you should be able to match up well enough with them that Dylan DeSue, you know, stay out of foul trouble. Don't try and get those fouls when it's a fast break or they're coming back down, coming over on weak side defense and, and hitting body to body on an easy layup. Those types of fouls Dylan DeSue can't get. He's been better at it. Uh, was much better about it against Oklahoma. Uh, you need to be able to watch those fouls, uh, and we'll see. We'll see how much Kendall Weaver gets a run in this game. We could see more of Chris Johnson in this game as well uh, in the fact that Chris, this is a game that maybe BYU won't be going for as many steals in this game or the steals they are they'll be able to get away with. But for a game where the, the pace will be picked up faster than Texas wants to play, Rodney Terry does like to play a small rotation uh, to have that, I think there is a chance that we could see uh, Kendall Weaver get some more run. Zarek Onyema could get some run just to kind of keep going. We'll see how well uh, Caden Shedrick is after that Tuesday uh, game against Oklahoma and he got undercut and took that big hit, how he's doing, uh, how he can form again, uh, show up against a BYU team and run, those types of things. But you may see Chris Johnson, who's been getting about two or three minutes and putting him in, and you know he hasn't necessarily had the best results so far. I'm I'm in favor of continuing to play him and continuing to put him out there uh, just to get him some more experience and get him a little bit more comfortable with being on the court. Uh, and now you wonder if the guys start to get tired, if their legs start to go and the shots are coming up short, do you bring them out or do you do what Rodney Terry did last game and just say, well, you're staying out there because uh, you're still playing defense, but just get to the rim. Stop two and threes, just get to the rim. Uh, those will be the questions that Texas has to answer against BYU. This is a winnable game, but again, if you let this get up into the 80s and you try to, and you try and play BYU's game, or you let BYU play their game, you know I know you're going to have to worry about the whistles. But you know at a certain point, if the whistles start coming, put in Brock Cunningham, put in uh, Zarek Onyema, put in Chris Johnson, put in whoever you can, and let them pick up some fouls and some hard, you know, not injury fouls, but body to body fouls. Stuff like that, just to slow down the pace a little bit and and let don't let them get into that rhythm. You know, we've seen that in other games where it's you just don't want them to get into rhythm and shooting. So you start to, you know, you foul them a little bit more. And, you know, you go for you're going for blocks, you're going for steals, but if you don't get them, the body's coming through with them, you're gonna pick up the foul. That's fine. We have to slow the game down. Those are all parts you might see in this game against BYU. Uh, a couple other big twelve games happening. Uh, this weekend, Kansas State is taking on number four. Houston, K-State has been having a little bit of a problem lately. They just haven't been able to react uh, with their new lineup. They haven't got built in yet. Uh, Drum Tang's a great coach, but I don't know if he has a talent this season, especially against a number four Houston team. Uh, but 
K-State, too, they're turning the ball over too much. They're going to have to hold over against a really good Houston team. This Houston team, again, this is who you're playing on Monday, so it's going to be interesting. We'll, of course, talk way more about it on Monday uh, once we see what Texas, what they did through and what Houston does because you're watching both of these games hoping that Texas doesn't necessarily have to play everyone 38 minutes and it's an overtime game and and you know and it's brutal and and, and they're running and they're dead tired and dog tired on Monday and you're hoping Houston isn't a blow and is not in a blowout and doesn't walk away from K State feeling really good about themselves winning by 20 so you want K State to hold on to the ball uh, Houston's averaging allowing 51.9 points uh, in a game. That's what they're allowing right now, 51.9 points. That is brutal against some of these teams like K-State who may lose some opportunities due to turnovers. Uh, we'll see how that game goes. Like, Houston should be good in it, uh, but you'd like K-State to put up a fight to try and help out Texas and uh, make those guys stay out on the court a little bit longer. Uh, Kansas takes on Iowa State. That's number seven Kansas versus number 23 Iowa State. Uh, Iowa State is going to try and use whatever size they have at D. K- Kansas hasn't been playing the best basketball so far this season, but I think they're starting to get it together a little bit more. Uh, but you're going to have to force the action if you're Iowa State. You're going to have to force them into plays they don't want to be doing. You're going to have to force them to get the ball to the younger guys uh, like Furphy and get him and get a freshman and try and make a freshman beat you. He did the other night, but you'd rather have a freshman with the ball in his hands that's more likely to turn it over. Uh, and you want to force the action, get them more passes, make them feel like they're not, you know, not getting what they want. Frustrate them, get the ball out, you know, kick the ball back out, let, make them take shots late in the shot clock. That's what Iowa State has to do to try and force anything against Kansas. It's at Iowa State, so there's always a shot of a an upset there. This is not a bad Iowa State team at all. I mean, they're they're ranked again, so you can't say they're a bad team. Uh, but this is a Kansas team that is trying to right the ship after some early losses in Big 12 play. Also, number 20, Texas Tech at number 11, Oklahoma. Oklahoma has dropped a couple now. They are trying to right the ship against Texas Tech. Uh, the problem is for Texas Tech, the biggest struggles they've had are against teams that are based in defense. Uh, that's where their offense hasn't been able to step through. Pop Isaacs hasn't been able to go over when they can really focus on him and have those defensive plays. Oklahoma, this seems like a good bounce-back game for them. As well as Texas Tech is playing, they struggle against hard defenses, and there's some of those in the Big 12. Texas, when they played them, the defense didn't show up. So Texas Tech was able to go down the stretch and do whatever they wanted. Everyone had lost their legs, wasn't playing well, wasn't feeling it, and you know they were able to get the win in, in, in Austin. I, I'm not sure they're going to be able to have that same luck in Norman. All right. Let's go over to some NBA talk real quick before we hit the big fat poll of the day just to let you know what you're watching for this weekend. Spurs have a back-to-back Friday and Saturday tonight and tomorrow. Trailblazers tonight, Timberwolves tomorrow, both at home. I think they're going to be playing more guys. Wimby tonight. Trey Jones is a game-time decision. It wouldn't surprise me if they sit him out this one and bring him back in the second. I have not heard any news uh, if Wimbenyama's uh, medical diagnosis has changed, and he's been on, you know, lifted from the restriction of not being able to play back to backs. You know, he'll be fighting it. They'll be trying to do it, but there's a decent chance they do not play him against Rudy Gobert and the Timberwolves uh, on Saturday. So this is the if they if you're watching for Wimby, the Friday game would be the one to watch against the Trailblazers. It's on NBA TV as well, unless it's blacked out. I don't know if they black it out here or not. Uh, but yeah, watch out for that one. The Mavericks are doing a home and away, or a way and home. Uh, they're at the Hawks tonight. They are back home playing the Kings tomorrow. 
Um, Kyrie Irving will be out tonight against the Hawks, so we don't get the matchup of DeJounte Murray and Trey Young versus Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. However, we do get Luka Doncic versus Trey Young. It is going to be a lot of shots coming from those two guys uh, going back and forth. Can Luka Doncic get it done? Uh, we know that Atlanta is going to be coming after him because he because he had that, you know, the response uh, of throwing a fan out. Everyone's going to be chanting at him that he needs to be on a treadmill and all of that. Is he going to be able to deal with that? Uh, and, and for the Maver- for the Kings, can they stop them in the paint? That's a real question. I could see Kyrie Irving bouncing back in game two of this as well and showing back up with that sprained thumb. Uh, he might be able to make it back. The Rockets have uh, two road games. Uh, they're at Charlotte and then at Brooklyn. These are both winnable games on the road for Houston. They need to figure out a way to get these victories and at least win one of these. They've been slipping a little bit in the second half of or the second half of the first half of the season. So we should second quarter of the season is where we can put it. Post in season tournament, they have started to slip a little bit. Uh, however, this is a Rockets team that can definitely make some noise uh, defensively when they get it going. Just haven't really been fully healthy either. Jabari Smith is a game-time decision this weekend as well. See what he can do. And you're trying to show off and, you know, your talent. We know Jalen Green. We don't know how untouchable he is in Houston. I think with the right deal, Jalen Green uh, could be available on the trade market for someone who feels a change of scenery would, would help him, you know, kind of round out his game. Uh, the All-Star voting NBA All-Star starters came out as well. Uh, a couple notes we need to say in the Western Conference, LeBron James, Jokic, and Kevin Durant are your three starting forwards, and your two starting guards are Luka Doncic and SGA, Shai Gilgis-Alexander. Uh, some notes, uh, some interesting parts of – so they they basically – there's a weighted score. There's a fan vote, a player vote, and a media vote. So everybody kind of puts – so the media votes on theirs, the players vote – and the fans vote, and so you get the numbers. Uh, an interesting one, uh, Alperin Shingoon from Houston, who's having a really good season, stepping up. Uh, he was a, I was a fan of his coming in the draft. Uh, he is a fan ranked. The fans voted him the fifth highest of the front court players for uh, the All-Star Weekend. He gets on 11th in the player ranked and 11th in the media rank, but jumps up pretty high because the combined score with a fifth in the fan rank, which I don't know if that's home, if that's his home country voting for him or if Houston fans are just enamored with him, but he is getting a lot of votes, Alperin Shingun. Victor Wimanyama, you expect to do a little bit better, was 8th uh, in the player rank, 8th in the fan rank, but 11th in media. I don't know what media is waiting for. I think they're mad that he's not playing enough minutes or enough games but whatever it is, the players will tell you that Victor Weminyama is a heck of a player. That is good to see because you kind of take the player rank with a little bit of, uh, you know, you want to see the players respect the guys that are on your team. And by the way, 11th for Alpen Shingun is not bad considering where they picked him up in the draft and what was expected out of him. 11th is not bad at all. It's just noticeable that he was fifth in fan voting uh, in that backcourt are uh, the guards, we can say, John Morant, player rank was 15th. And I have to assume this is more because of the off the court and the suspensions that they just weren't voting for him because he hasn't played really. Because uh, his, you know, his fan vote was still ninth. The media still gave him a six, even though he barely played this season. Uh, Jamal Murray, though, fan rank was number 13. Not a lot of love for a guy who just won an uh, NBA title. Not a lot of love for Jamal Murray. Over on the East Coast, your, your starting uh, front court is going to be Giannis, Jason Tatum, and Joel Embiid. No shockers there. They're all one, two, three in everybody's ranks. And your backcourt is Tyrese Halliburton and Damian Lillard. Uh, Jalen Brunson is going to be right there with him. If one of those guys is out, one of the other guys will go in. 
Uh, the fan rank is going to take Lillard over Jalen Brunson because he was voted over him. He shouldn't be an all-star. He just shouldn't be. So uh, he probably won't play a ton of minutes either. Uh, you should note that uh, Julius Randle is eighth in fan rank and media rank, 11th in player rank in, in players voting. And Tyrese Maxey, Tyrese Maxey, second in the player voting, the second best voted guard in the Eastern Conference. Guys are really respecting Tyrese Maxey. That is an interesting one to see. Sixth in the fan vote, fourth in the media, but second is where they put him in the guards. And a fun one for Spurs fans who now see him in Boston. Derek White gets up, and he is in eighth place uh, here on this list as well. Amazing to see him evolve there in Boston. All right, let's get to Patrick's Big Fat Poll today so we can get to the text line. Patrick's Big Fat Poll of the Day on the Horn. Big fat poll of the day today. I told you Royal Rumble is tomorrow night. I'm excited for it. And a question that I always find is harder than it seems because there's so many great wrestlers from the great state of Texas. Who is the greatest wrestler from Texas? Who is the greatest wrestler from Texas? And you can throw in your favorite wrestler too. You can put those in. I'm just saying, you know, from Dusty Rhodes to Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker, we know, handed the belt to Quinn Ewers. Our man Mark Henry comes and joins the show, is on that list. Stone Cold Steve Austin. We get the Guerreros that are here, the Funks. Terry Funk, middle aged and crazy, was Terry Funk. A lot of great wrestlers. You know, you can go over to the Von Erics, and they just got their movie, Iron Claw Out. So many great wrestlers here in the Texas area, So, or from Texas. Uh, so that's my poll of the day. I don't know how many of you guys are wrestling fans, but tell me. I, you might have been when you were a kid, too. So who is your favorite wrestler or the best wrestler, the greatest wrestler, from the state of Texas? Let me know on the text line, 512-447-3776. We come back. We'll hit some sound from Hook'em Up with Ian Rodby. We'll also get to the text line. We come back here on the Sports Complex in the Horn 1019, AIM 1260, the Horn app, and hornfm.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The Sports Complex with Patrick Davis on the Horn. Back in the Sports Complex here on the Horn, keeping the show rolling along. It is a 5-1-2 Friday, so we're playing you some local music. You can go check out around town this weekend. This is Moving Panoramas. They're playing tonight at Cheer Up Charlie's. If you want to get out, the weather's not great, but it'll be a fun night out. If you want to go check out Moving Panoramas at Cheer Up Charlie's. 
Uh, let's keep it rolling right along. Texan Open 512-447-3776. Who's the greatest wrestler from the great state of Texas? Who's the best rag? They say great twice in that. I know, but it is the great state of Texas, so we have to say it. Uh, but, yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot to pick from. So keep sending those in. If you want to talk Texas basketball, uh, NBA as well, send that stuff in. We'll get into the NFL in the 5 o'clock hour, and we'll play you some NFL stuff right here from Okamah with Ian Rod B. They were talking NFL in the big matchups this weekend, so let's get their view. We'll give you ours at 5 o'clock and keep the show rolling right along. But it's a hook em up replay right here on the Sports Complex on the Horn 1019, AM 1260, the Horn app, and hornfm.com. Some hook em up for you weekday morning, 6 to 11, and right now on the Sports Complex. All right, let's talk about the championship games coming up this Sunday. Uh, start with the AFC. Um, the fact that Patrick Mahomes is an underdog is something uh, worth discussing because uh, it doesn't happen very often. Patrick Mahomes as an underdog, um, he, he's got that dog in him, as we know. He's got that dog. The last time Mahomes was an underdog in consecutive starts. Think about it. He was an underdog also versus Buffalo and ended up winning that game. I picked Mahomes in that game. I ain't picking him in this one. But uh, as an underdog in consecutive starts, last time was his rookie season. Um, basically the first year that he played in 2018. Like it, That's when he was a dog in back-to-back road starts. Uh, that was the only time in his career exactly that he was a back-to-back road dog. Um, his second and third career starts, he won both games. He started his career being listed as an underdog in three straight starts Prior to last week, he was favored in 100 of 108 total starts. <laughs> he, Patrick Mahomes is now 8-3 straight up in his career as an underdog, the best record of any quarterback in the Super Bowl era with a minimum of 10 starts. And the Chiefs open as a 3.5-point dog versus the Ravens in the AFC title game. I believe now it's still at 3, if I'm not mistaken. Um, time may know better than me. But it's just the sixth time that Mahomes has opened at a three-point uh, dog or higher, and the first time since 2020 um, versus Baltimore, he is 5-0 and against the spread in those games. So as Ty was talking about, that's probably smart money. In Mahomes, 11 games as an underdog. Um, he is 11-0 and in a, in a six-point teaser. <laughs> so there you go, Ty. You'd probably like that. Um, so there you go. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is an underdog. It's just – some you don't see a lot, and when you do see it, usually he makes us look silly um, with him as an underdog. So, it, And also, it is his 15th game on a road trip, which is two or more road games in a row. 12-2 and two, straight up on road trips when he's got those back-to-back road games and 7-7 seven and seven against the spread. So he's right there at uh, 50% of, of the time he covers. And he's listed as an underdog in three of those games, Three and zero straight up. So, as a dog, it's uh, he's got he shows us why he's got that dog in him. You know, he's and why he's uh, quickly look. He's already on all time greatest quarterbacks. He's behind Brady and Montana, and then he slots in right in that conversation yes, already. Yep, at twenty seven years old. Yeah. I mean it's 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 Montana, Brady, and then okay, you can make a very strong argument that Mahomes uh, is ahead of the rest. I mean. I know people would argue for their 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 horse in that race, but hard to argue. And there's still so much more oh. Pat Mahomes football to be played, including Sunday. Yeah, and he's going against the best defense in the league. Uh, as I told you, first defense in the Super Bowl era to lead the NFL in scoring, 
takeaways and sacks. It's never happened. Uh, this Ravens defense has got a chance to become an all-time great defense, but they got to shut down and neutralize the, one of the future GOATs to do it. Patrick Mahomes versus number one scoring defenses, including the playoffs, he's 3-1. and one. Uh, Nine touchdowns to four interceptions, 339 yards passing on average, <laughs> 32 points per game on average. And the Ravens, as I said, they're allowing 16.5 points per game, best scoring defense in the league. So, yeah, I, I, I'm i picking the Ravens in this matchup, but I would not be surprised at all if my homes goes in there and just dices up that Ravens defense, even though it's the best defense in the league because we've seen it before. <laughs> we've seen it before. Uh, also, something to watch is uh, Spagnola. Listen, Spags is awesome in what he's done with that defense. Kansas City, Kansas City listen, they're a top-five defense too. So, you know, we're talking about, you know, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens and the Ravens defense being so dominant. But Kansas City's defense is pretty damn good. They blitz a ton. Uh, they probably have the uh, sixth highest blitz rate in the NFL, around 31%. Lamar Jackson, remember, I said this when D'Amico Ryan, and D'Amico Ryan did blitz him. Like crazy. He did early on, and it worked it early did. on. They just made adjustments in the second half, and they were just better than you. For Kansas City, though, there is the Ravens are that not that much better than Kansas City, in my opinion, if they are better. And I think this Kansas City could have more success blitzing Lamar Jackson. Listen, Lamar Jackson is great versus the blitz. I believe his QBR versus the blitz, or at least when pressure is third in the NFL. But the reason that you want to blitz him, and he, last six games, he's got an 86 QBR versus the blitz. So and that includes with the Texans. Six touchdowns, zero interceptions, 9.2 yards per attempt. So I'm not saying that it's guaranteed to work. He's the damn MVP, or he's going to be the MVP for a reason. But with Lamar Jackson, as I said earlier, you don't want to – when he drops back, drop back to the pass, you don't want to defend three plays in one. When he drops back to pass, you want to defend just one play. And the best way to do that is to make him declare. Make him declare means to get rid of the ball quickly out of his hands. You can do that via the, via the blitz. He'll go to his hot read, or he'll tuck it and run really quickly to abandon the pocket, and that makes him a runner right now, and that is great too. But what you don't want is him dropping back as a passer, you having to defend the initial pass play, then him deciding to extend the play and having to defend the second reaction scramble drill, and then after you defend that successfully, having to defend the mo- one of the most elusive and one of the most dynamic runners in all of the NFL when he decides to tuck the football and become a runner. You don't, you, your defense can't defend all three of those scenarios, and you can't defend them for four quarters. You can't. You've got to make him declare, and the blitz the best way to make him declare. And I think that's what they'll do. And against, the, against Josh Allen, the Chiefs were really creative about how they uh, basically forced Josh Allen to, to one side of the, the pocket or the other. And they, they were really clever about that. So they faced dual-threat quarterbacks before, so they have a plan. I think one of the plans has got to be, man, you've got to blitz. They blitz a lot anyway. They're definitely going to blitz Lamar Jackson, and they should. You've got to make that dude declare, man. Yeah, and they've got an elite defense, just like the Ravens do. It's just, I mean, and we make our picks. I mean, I'm, I'm leaning Baltimore like you are, Rod, just because this is the best Ravens defense, one of the best we've seen in NFL history with the numbers you just gave uh, against, the, you know, the worst Chiefs offense of the Mahomes era. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, they, this is an offense that can be erratic. Uh, they're mistake-prone. Gosh, even in the Buffalo game, the Mecole Hardeman fumble, which, by the way, give, give credit to Travis Kelsey on the uh, podcast he does with his brother Jason. He took full responsibility for that fumble because he missed his block. Like, if he had blocked the guy who forced the fumble uh, and engaged him better, 
uh, it would have been a walk-in touchdown. Wow. Uh, so Travis Kelsey, like he said, I apologize to Mecole over and over again because I screwed that up. I didn't get good leverage, and I missed the block, or else that guy has no chance to swap the ball out. Uh, but either way, that, that's, that's how they've been. That mistake at the goal line, I think every Chiefs fan that saw that was like, oh, man, that, that's going to cost us. That's mm-hmm. the game. <laughs> We're going to lose because they've seen it all year, Rod. Yep. There's been a one or two plays you know, by a receiver, either a drop pass or a fumble, tip drill interception, whatever it might be, that has led to a loss. They're going to be in this game. It's not going to be like the 34-10 to 10 Texans game. You know, They'll be in this game because they're really good on defense and they've got Patrick Mahomes. But at the same time, do they have enough? Because we've also seen Baltimore against elite teams, Rod. Yes, Baltimore, we've seen them. Blow and this is the thing. You just said it. I think that's the key, right? If they're going to be in this game late, that is something that Baltimore, they have shown vulnerability late in games if a team is still pushing, right? They, Baltimore's recipe is be a front runner, blow a team out, which they have done, right? They, uh, you go look at their uh, point differential versus playoff teams. I mean, they are – I believe right now, I want to make sure I get the stat right. Yeah, so right now, if you go look at just regular season, the 2023 Ravens and the 07 Patriots are the only teams in NFL history with a plus 100 point differential versus playoff teams. So they've been blowing teams out. But late in games, when, and they have, you know, their four losses, they've happened late in games when teams are still pushing and they've had eh, collapses of sorts, right? They are three and four in close games, the Ravens are. They're three and four in close games this year. They're talking about one-score games in the fourth quarter. And they've blown more leads than they have game-winning drives. They haven't been in that situation a lot. And it's very possible they're going to be in that situation versus the Chiefs. And when they have been in that situation, they have a losing record. The, the Baltimore's only win that produced the winning points in the fourth quarter or overtime this season, that punt return. That punt return touchdown versus the Rams. Rams, yep. That was it. That's the only winning points they've had to score in in the fourth quarter of a game. Otherwise than that, they've you know they've been they've been late game collapses or they've held on. That would lead those games. Then that so would lead if, to, if you think it's gonna be a close game, then take the Chiefs. If you, that's kind of what I said. If Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs can just keep it close enough to make it a one score game in the middle of the fourth quarter, I think that's when the odds start to. Start to flip in favor potentially of the Chiefs, uh, but you'll know that early on how the game's going. You'll be able to tell that. But like I said, the Ravens—they just that that defense is legit. But also the defense of the the Chiefs is underrated. We don't talk about them enough. The, how about this? That Chiefs defense—they're second with with fifty-seven sacks. Yeah, they're right, um, they're right behind the Ravens. But they they their 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 uh, I believe their pressure rate was around twenty seven point eight percent second highest rate in the league. So they're second behind the Cowboys in pressure rate no. and second in sacks. No, we've seen that from the beginning. They've rebuilt the secondary. They've drafted guys like George Karloftis to go with Chris Jones, and they can get pressure on a quarterback. Charles Amenahu is part of that pressure package yeah. for the Chiefs, uh, and they're really really good. That's what they're built around now. But just like you said, the Ravens in close games have stumbled at times. The Chiefs all year in close games have. They, they've they've blown it with their own receiver and, and, and offensive mistakes that have led to losses. And so I still think that has to be considered here. And I do think the Ravens are playing their best football right now. I mean, they the are. Ravens into the month of December. I, I erased the Week 17 game against the Browns because the Browns had to win it and the Ravens didn't start anybody. <laughs> so it was like a practice squad game for the Ravens. But in the other 16 games, and especially in the month of December where they smashed the Dolphins Smash. and they smashed the Niners, yeah. Uh, they're just – they seem to be peaking right now. And so I don't want to say I eliminate those games that they lost the three before, but at the same time, 
Um, they're just really, really good. And it, it's almost like J- John Harbaugh's team's like his brother's team at Michigan. They're like a, they're like a vice. Mm-hmm. They just keep, you know, you ever get, get a vice on a workbench and you just keep twisting it down and twisting it down, and uh, that's kind of what they do to you. They just wear you out, and, you know, th- their defense is making plays while their offense is tough to get off the field and then put the ball in the end zone, and Lamar scrambling for first downs and touchdowns and making plays down the field off schedule. You know, all of a sudden you look up and you're down two touchdowns. You're like, damn, now i got a chase against that pass rush, which led the league in sacks. I mean, this is that's a tough team to beat, especially in their building. Rain in a forecast rod, it's going to be a wet field. Mm. Uh, temperatures will not be freezing, but like it, like right at 40 degrees, and there's an 80% chance of rain all afternoon in Baltimore. So, And that's the 2 o'clock game. So you can anticipate wet field. Uh, and I just think that's a condition that the the Ravens love to play in. Yeah, well, they can play any solid football. They yeah. spread you out. They can play power football like they've done. Uh, all right, real quick about the NFC title game. We'll come back, obviously, and, and preview that a little bit more later. Uh, Debo, the Debo Samuel uh, effect is going to be big because the 49ers are 12-1 and straight up, 10-3 and against the spread when Debo Samuel starts and finishes the game. But when he doesn't, 1-4 straight up, 0-5 yeah. against the spread. Uh, he leads the Niners. How about this little stat? He leads the Niners in targets and receptions when they are leading this season. He's actually first in yards per rush attempt for them when they are leading too. When they lead, he's part of the formula with them as a front runner to separate. Um, and without him, I mean, we've talked about it. They're, they're averaging almost two touchdowns less per game. Like two touchdowns, fewer, fewer touchdowns, two, two fewer touchdowns per game without Debo Samuel in the lineup. That's a big number. 13.8 points per game, I believe, is the exact number. Well, and you've pointed this out a lot, but it bears repeating that, uh, you know, what makes him so dynamic when he's healthy is he and Christian McCaffrey are interchangeable. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're pretty much the same player on the field, right? You can line DJ Debo up at running back. You can use Christian McCaffrey as a receiver. Uh, they, it just makes them, and it opens everybody else up, and that's, there's a reason, and it's it is Brock Purdy, right? Who's a good quarterback, but he's not, you know, he's not Patrick Mahomes. You know, he's not going to carry your football team if you don't have the pieces. It was all part of the the master plan of Kyle Shanahan yep. and Christian McCaffrey already having Debo Samuel and drafting Brandon Ayuk and you know having George Kittle. That was the final piece uh, when they made that trade last October or two Octobers ago now. And when they're all on the field, I mean, they're a team that should win the Super Bowl. If, if Debo's off, it's a little bit different because it just changes. And you can really – at that point, you can force Brock Purdy to beat you, mm-hmm. right? You can yep. make Brock Purdy Brock Purdy. With Debo on the field and Christian McCaffrey and all the pieces, you know, Purdy's just a point guard. Purdy's just executing the plays. And, you you know, defenses are on their heels just trying to figure out where it's going to be. Uh, and that's, that's where Purdy's really, really comfortable. We saw last week, especially when it was raining – and by the way, this week for that game, if you're looking at it, it uh, looks like a beautiful night in Santa Clara. Uh, 70 degrees, no rain in the forecast. Looks like a great night. Yeah, but even when uh, the, they see, they talked about this, the Detroit Lions are Dome Warriors. They play in domes a lot. The last time they played outside was December 10th in Chicago. So in the past 12 games, <laughs> they've only played outside once. Every other road game for them, Chargers, Saints, Vikings, Cowboys, was in a dome. And Jared Goff wasn't—he wasn't great. I mean, he wasn't great outside. So that's something to consider. I—I 
I know it may just be overblown, but he only had like 161 yards in the game. They lost to the Bears. The Bears on a good team. Well, that's also familiarity, a word we were using in the coaching carousel there. The San Francisco 49ers have a lot of familiarity with Jared Goff. They know him from his Rams days. That's a great point. Um, Oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. They have a good scouting report on him, obviously. They'll have a plan that – because Goff has been on a heater, man. Goff's been really, really good. And Amon Ross St. Brown, I mean, all the weapons we talk about with the the Niners, the the Lions are equal uh, with what they have at receiver and tight end and running back and offensive line is uh, elite. So it was a real fun game, a real fun game. By the way – Good stuff there. From E and Robbie, a hook up, uh, hook them up replay there. Uh, weekday morning, 6 to 11, right here on the horn. We're going to come back, get to the text line, 512 447 3776. Big fat poll of the day today is who is the greatest wrestler from Texas since the Royal Rumble is coming up on Saturday. And uh, also, if you got any college basketball talk, Texas has a big game coming up on Saturday or NBA talk. All three Texas teams playing double headers this weekend. Send that on in. We'll get into the NFL talk. Uh, of our talk is starting in the 5 o'clock hour, but let's get to the text on. We come back here on the Sports Complex on the Horn 1019 AM 1260, the Horn app, and hornfm.com. The Sports Complex with Patrick Davis on the Horn. Back on Sports Complex here on a Friday afternoon on the Horn. Uh, it's 512 Friday, playing the best in local music that you can go see live this weekend. This is Madam Radar, going to be playing tonight at Saxon Pub. You can go check out Madam Radar. Very good stuff there from Madam Radar. Uh, let's get to the text on 512-447-3776 is the text line number. If you guys want to join the conversation, we'll reset here at 5 o'clock. Uh, but let's uh, try and get some of these in before we get there. Uh, Nate says, the haters can something off. Pretty sure you can say that. I don't think I can say that, Nate. And look, I'm not hating on the haters. If I hated on the haters, that would also make me a hater. So by proxy of not being a hater, I'm not, I can't, I can't hate on the haters. I just have to say, I think you guys are haters. And we'll just move on from there. Uh Texter uh, Chan, my man Chan says, is BYU's play style similar to Miami? Not really. Uh, I mean, there's some similarities. Miami was a much more talented team, I think, last season. Uh, this is also a different Texas team last season. But uh, don't forget that we don't always have to shoot threes, especially when it's not falling. You you don't always have to, but you have to. If if you're open for three, you have to hit them. You have to shoot them. You have to hit them uh, because otherwise that defense is just going to collapse inside and it becomes too. Uh, too bunched up, and so once everybody realizes you're not going to shoot any threes, uh, it becomes real easy to defend you until you get open threes. But Max Aismith, Tyrese Hunter are going to shoot threes. It Horton's going to shoot threes. He'll he'll get out of his slump more. Dylan DeSue has been shooting amazing from three. So Dylan Mitchell is really your only guy in that starting lineup who's not going to be able to shoot threes at a high level. Uh, but he's been driving enough, and as long as he can keep moving, it's not as big of an issue. Uh, there are some guys, uh, some big guys. Uh, who are going to be guarding uh, uh, Texas players 
Uh, you look at some of the taller players. Uh, Noah Waterman is going to be playing the most minutes. Not a great defender, uh, but he's 6'11". Uh, Ali Khalifa is uh, 6'11", too, plays some. And Atika Ali Atika uh, plays a few minutes, 6'10". He's actually going to be your better defender, I think. Uh, but he just doesn't play a ton of minutes. So they don't necessarily – they have some size, but not a lot of it is super skilled size where they have great players like that. They play a lot more guards and uh, forwards that are that are pretty good players but not going to be you know, dominating you uh, so much defensively in the paint. I don't know if they have that type of uh, defense. Uh, let's see. Uh, text here. Uh, here we go. The Polish power, Ivan Putski from right here in Austin, Texas. I don't know. I don't know if he was, he was born in Poland. So he's not, he was not born in Texas, uh, but he is from, he does live in Austin now, or at least he used to live in Austin. The Polish power, Ivan Putski. Uh, Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, Dusty, the son of a plumber from Austin, Texas. From back in the day, had a son, played Austin High. Dustin Rhodes became gold dust. Always good. Big Papa says Fritz von Eric. Fritz von Eric, one of the few guys, went from a Nazi to beloved in Dallas. Like that, And I know some other people you could say some other. But his character was like Fritz von Eric was the German. And, I, you know, he was the uh, he was a hated German. Fritz von Eric, and then because he had the kids and the kids got beloved and, and they loved that he brought him wrestling, that he kind of, he went over and it was a weird thing too because, you know, it was like the, the enemies changed and so the Germans were no longer the enemy and so if he fought with you and was, it was like, oh, we'll take out the evil Koreans and, and the evil Vietnamese and, and those wars, then then it made him, it then made him beloved in in. American. It's just a crazy thing to think of what Fritz von Eric went through from being hated to beloved. <laughs> it says there are two kinds of people: people that think the von Erics were the greatest wrestlers from Texas of all time, and those who are wrong. I look. I'm just saying. I've watched some von Eric matches, and I I might go with somebody else, but I might be younger too. I'm you know I might be younger that I, I'm I'm more of an attitude era guy. <laughs> that was what I was growing up with. Uh, so I, I, you know, the Stone Colds and Shawn Michaels and Undertakers are jumping up on that. Terry Funk's always been a favorite of mine, too. And then, of course, the Guerrero. Like, there's just so many. Booker T, I forgot to mention. Another Texas guy. I forgot to mention Booker T in that. So many Texas wrestlers. Well, we'll keep it going. Uh, I'll read this last one. Golf is sweaty. Last week, gone confetti. His lineman looking down. No sound. Sacked already. I, I can tell. I, I'm not going to sing. I'm not a, I, can't, I can't pull off an Eminem. But I think that's a troll from Eminem, a, a Eminem troll job on Detroit. Are you rude? I, I, I feel like Kyle Shanahan's an Austin guy, or he's a, a UT guy, I should say. He's a Texas guy. So you kind of want to root for them, but it's also the Lions. How can you root against the Lions at this point? I'm on board with, I don't know. It's, it's a hard one to pick who to root for uh, in these playoffs. But we'll get more into that here in the 5 o'clock. Reset everything. Get us back on track and more of the text line, of course. Uh, we get back on the sports complex here on the Horn 1019, AM 1260, the Horn app, and hornfm.com.